The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, Welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Leslie Albrecht, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Market Watch, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Rachel Koning Beals, who is an Assistant Managing Editor at Market Watch. Rachel, thanks for being here. Hi, Leslie. Thanks. Um, so today we are going to talk about a new column at Market Watch that Rachel just started writing um, called the Upcycler. And um, but before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about Rachel's um, beat at Market Watch. Uh, she writes about climate change. And um, I wanted to ask Rachel, like, um, when did you start writing about climate change for Market Watch, and and why did you start writing about climate change for Market Watch? You bet. Well, Market Watch, as our name implies, we care about markets, but we've long cared also just about money and how many points, uh, you know, at which money touches our lives. So we had been covering climate specifically from sort of a company perspective. I mean, the first Tesla rolled off in like 2008, as long ago as as that now. We were covering Tesla as we should have and covering it well. We were covering uh, energy markets like we always had. But to me, climate change started to become a topic that needed attention that was that was more than just sort of these one-offs. We needed to start to stitch it together and tell investors why it mattered to them. There were you know, more and more solar ETFs, more wind ETFs. Then Larry Fink at BlackRock, world's largest asset manager, kind of confirmed my, my, uh, my hunch. In one of his annual letters to, to stockholders, he called climate change the single biggest investment theme of his lifetime. So I, I, I knew we were on to something. And I continue to work with great people who cover companies and stocks and ETFs that are involved in climate change and renewable energy and sustainable ideas. I just wanted to start to talk to our reader a little bit more about how it really impacts their own portfolios, their own retirements, their own wallets. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it really uh, kind of cuts across all of the different coverage areas at MarketWatch. You know, we, we write for retail investor retail investors, we write for people who are planning their retirement. We, we write, it's hard to say the phrase, we write. Uh, we write our personal finance stories are for people who are trying to figure out how to spend their money effectively. But the, it's, it's interesting that, you know, when you really think about it, like the climate change issue really, it, it cuts into all of those. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's uh, it's good, and those and those stories have been um, growing in popularity. Readers have been um, tuning into them more and more, and clicking on them more and more. And I think it really shows people's attention is um, captured by it. So, yeah, not, I mean, I not- kind of consider it. And other people have said this. This is is not my phrase, but I say it often to remind myself. I think this really truly is the next industrial revolution, and by that I mean. Uh, renewable energy, more efficient buildings, 
smart technicians in the workforce that can put in that heat pump in your home that's promising to really reduce your electricity bill and cut down on emissions. It's sort of the green revolution. I know that sounds, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, 15 years ago, people kind of bristled at getting rid of the of the old, you know, getting rid of conveniences. There's a reason gasoline is other than over the summer, but gasoline is relatively inexpensive in the US, we can refine it fairly cheaply. We like to drive in the US. Um, but the idea of sitting out the next industrial revolution, myself, our readers, our investors, it just seems like too big of an opportunity to, to pass up, to be honest. Yeah, that's really, I haven't heard that phrase actually before. And that's so apt because if you think of the first industrial revolution, like turning the skies of London black with soot, mm -hmm. Right. And now we're like trying to figure out how to get all that soot out of, out of the air. It's the it's the reverse. Right. Yep. Not um, unrelated. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. OK, cool. So. All right. So you've been chugging along. You've been doing these different stories. But then you came up with you thought, oh, we could do a column with a personal finance focus. Uh, so you came up with the, the upcycler column. Um, first of all, before before we talk about that, what is upcycling? Exactly. What is upcycling? It's. I've taken a little liberties with the column already out the gate. We only have three uh, three editions. And, and on, on the third one, I found myself already asking, is this upcycling? But I will argue yes. And here's why. Literally, upcycling is taking a product that already exists. And instead of throwing it away and having it take up a space in a landfill or off-put emissions as it degrades, you keep using it. So maybe it is literally... Uh, a pair of old jeans cut up and made into a throw or, you know, a, a lap blanket. Um, I think we can get a little more technical than that. And, and we do already in, in, in some of our columns that we're, we're going to talk about shortly. We talk about re recycling, reselling, used personal tech. We talk about smarter ways to travel. So sometimes to me, upcycling is taking an idea, a concept, a practice, changing the way we used to do it, like going on vacation and staying in a hotel, and instead going on vacation and staying in a home swap, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit. So it's really about making more with less, saving money, maybe earning a little bit of extra money, um, being creative, being big thinkers, fixing more of what we have at home. One of the upcoming columns I want to get into is, do you fix your washing machine? Is it really a durable good? How oh, yeah. much does it cost to repair it? Are we always just kind of replacing appliances mm -hmm. now? I, I don't know the answer to that. I know my parents live in the same house they've lived in for 51 years, and there have been two washing machines in that house over yeah. that time. But I don't know if that's the either the, either they buy smartly or they do have somebody come and repair it. I, I don't know. I'm I'm fascinated sort of by the 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 fix-it economy, which I think we've kind of gotten away from. So that's my in a way kind of all over the board view of of upcycling. But I, I love the freedom that that kind of gives us. And and I want to hear from readers too about ideas they have or dilemmas they have. Can I reuse this? Can I fix yeah. it? How much is it going to cost? So that that's upcycling to me, at least. Yeah, yeah. You know, you need, you need to talk to you for that washing machine story is uh, the Maytag man for sure. <laughs> I think he's been, I think he's been kind of not that busy in recent years. Um, but uh, yeah, and what's also interesting, I think, about kind of the approach that you seem to be taking is that I, I feel like in the past some writing about 
this kind of issue has been a little bit like you should be doing these things mm -hmm. to help the planet, like sort of like admonishing people or, or and like, but the way that you talk about it is in a way that's like helping people enhance and maximize what they're doing in a way that like helps them too. Like it's mutually beneficial, at least that's, it seems like what you're, what you're after. Is that part of your thinking? Yeah, totally. Mutually beneficial. And at the end of the day, we are market watch, which, which I always say, or we're money watch, you know, if we call it that. So I just think there's a real dollars and cents component to all of this. And if that's what changes behavior, and then there's also an, or a, an environmental benefit, then win-win. But, um, you know, I sort of don't want to pretend that it's not a choice, right? You're, you're giving up new to reuse something. Maybe you are spending too much to, to fix something, but maybe it means more to you to keep that uh, washing machine around for, for longer. Um, I, I really feel strongly that, that environmentalism is, is an economic story. And, and uh, you know, I stand by that and, and I, and I want to write with that in mind. Yeah. Um, okay. So without further ado, let's get into the column and what you've done so far. And just for readers who might not be familiar, I'll just read you guys what the, what the description of the column is that Rachel has at the top. At the top so you can, we're all on the same page here. The upcycler column aims to help you make more with less save or earn extra money, expand your creative side and shrink your carbon footprint. Okay. So um, the first one was about trading in your smartphone or personal technology device, your iPad, etc. Um, and our, our headline was uh, think twice before you trade in your old smartphone or tablet, you could make more money upcycling on resale sites. Um, so this was news to to me when I read it. I was one of those people that always just like, when it was time to get a new phone, I just went to the cell phone store and gave it to the person. And then, you know, I didn't even know that you could do this. So to, what was, uh, what inspired this, uh, this column? Yeah, for sure. Well, what actually inspired this column was a bit of breaking news. So uh, I, I'm going back a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to smartphone resale. What I think I like about the upcycler column too, and this is proven out at market watch really personal columns resonate with people our advice column is super popular people have problems they like reading about other people's problems they want solutions so there's something about taking you know the companies that we cover the products we cover the government policies we cover yes that's the backdrop but who are the people involved? Who are the people making these choices? And these are hard choices. So let's help them. So the news came from, from companies. Apple finally was going to loosen right. how much it allowed you to keep your phone a little longer and still expect to have a certain amount of memory and function that just allowed iPhones that are that have new models replacing them to at least live live a little longer. We actually could start to have the conversation about resale and trade in because these were going to be functioning devices more so than before. Might not to just pick on Apple. Microsoft too made an announcement that it was going to be a little looser with repairing your own phones. Um, so that was that was a big breakthrough, and we covered that as breaking news. Okay, now let's look at the column. Let's take a specific challenge. What do I do with this phone now? And what makes the most sense? So there's a couple of things that could happen. It can sit in the closet and collect 
dust that happens for a lot of us because you buy new and you just don't even think about the old. You can trade it in for the new um, model and the new you, you go to your um, service provider, Verizon, AT&T, whoever it is. They're probably going to give you a um, certain amount of money toward the new plan, toward the new phone. And in fact, even though we're talking about resale here, always go in and see what kind of a trade a trade in value you can get. Um, you want to hear from from those providers. Hey, what are they willing to offer you? Maybe it is a good deal. Fine. Take it. Trade in. You can sell old personal tech. And we're using the smartphone example, but we're also talking laptops, tablets, gaming consoles. You can sell it on these sort of bulk buyback sites. These are sites that'll give you a bid, but their, their offer is going to be small enough that they can then turn around and sell it and, and make a profit. That's their, their model. They need to make money too. Or you can resell it directly to another buyer. So there are sites out there, apps that are, that, that are matchmakers, except for your smartphone, right? They, you say what you have. Somebody's interested in just, you know, one Apple uh, iPhone that's just, you know, one model older or something. Maybe it's for their, their kid. You know, he, it's a middle schooler. She's just old enough to get her own phone, but she's not super responsible. Maybe a used refurbished phone makes sense for that yeah. user, right? So resale sites put you, they, they charge a little bit of a fee on top. They need to make money to run but it's all transparent. Whatever a buyer is willing to pay for your used smartphone, if you agree to that price, you sell it. Now, what's also nice about those sites is uh, the one I profiled in the piece, especially is called Swappa. They are a gatekeeper. They don't want cracked screens. They don't want uh, broken gaming consoles. It has to have a certain, it's used, but it has to have a certain level of quality to even make it on the site. They also want um, some some lineage. They want to make sure this isn't stolen or it was somebody's lost phone. You found it. Now you're selling it. You have to be the original owner, which just makes it easier for the buyer. To me, that's cost savings, too, because it's time savings. Right. So those were the differences. I had to learn the differences. And again, we're sort of telling people, don't throw away personal tech for the landfill. Sell it. You might make a little money. I know, right? I think it's so great. And also, actually, I just wanted to go back to something you said at the very beginning, which was, I feel like most people don't, are not aware of this whole right to repair um, mm -hmm. issue with the tech companies and the fact that like, you, the everyday consumer, uh, were not empowered to repair your phone if you wanted to, which like, when you think about it, it kind of blows my mind. I mean, it's like, what? I bought this, I can't now repair it. So can you just explain that a little bit, please? Yeah, well, it's, it's one of those nice names that, that just sort of defines it itself. But obviously, Apple is a, a for-profit company, a publicly traded company. If you're a stockholder, maybe you don't love the idea of, of right to repair. Same for right. Microsoft, Samsung. But there was just a real gap and they were being sort of undermined, I think, by markets that would take things and, and, and try to refurbish them and... Um, it's just a different buyer base now. They we demand a lot more, you know, authority and you know, um, uh, privilege in our own technology ownership. And the writing was on the wall. And Apple loosened. Now, not entirely. There's still obviously proprietary, you know, components to to any piece of technology. But the idea that you know the life of your iPhone is just 
tick, 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 you know, fading fast and you're in your, you know, the operations of it are super slow all of a sudden has gone away. Right to repair exists um, and it, it's better for consumers. Yeah, it's so it's interesting how we kind of get um, we get used to these the idea that these devices have an expiration date. And um, but that's not the way it doesn't it doesn't have to be that way. Um, OK, we do have I just want to remind people who may be watching that you can submit questions for Rachel about how to upcycle in your own life. Uh, and we also we have a question from someone who signed up for um, the event uh, from Chrisman. Um, Crispin wants tips on how to balance between saving money in order to reduce carbon footprint and consuming in order to, to boost the market. I think what they're saying is like, how can you be a consumer, which is arguably good for business and the stock market, but how can you also uh, save uh, on your carbon foot footprint? So it's like a, a question about being a responsible consumer, which is a huge question, Rachel. But um, do you have do you have some, <laughs> do you have some general guidelines? Yeah, let's uh, and, and that's the rest of the show. No, yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, there's sort of a big question to ask ourselves. One is. If you buy into the fact, and scientific evidence is strong, that the way we consume is not sustainable, whether that's energy we burn that puts emissions uh, into the atmosphere, warmer atmosphere, doesn't create severe weather, but it's making hurricane season longer. It's making the floodwaters that accompany a hurricane push further inland. There's uh, plastic in our oceans. We're losing biodiversity, which is the line between natural life and man-made development. The wigglier that line gets, the more we're likely to have diseases like COVID-19 pass from one to the next. Like there are big, big societal, cultural, public health questions at the root of this. So we need behavior changes. Now, specifically though, we can't dump an old way of life and adopt a new way of life and expect, you know, our economy to, to, to churn along just like it is. But we need to be innovative. And so there are, for instance, in the first column, someone solved a business problem. They developed an app that introduces buyers and sellers. They charge a flat fee. They solved a problem. There's, you know, creative destruction accompanying this new green economy that will create new jobs. Yes, we have to rethink commodities and the way we use them, but we still need commodities for uh, electric batteries. We still need to produce. The bulk of our economy has gone to a service economy anyway. We're just sort of reconfiguring problem solving, service-based solutions. We're, we're already there. We're just accelerating it a little bit for the, for the good of the planet. And I would argue for the, for the good of your portfolio. Yeah. Um, didn't you start out as a commodities? I did. Full See? circle. It all comes, <laughs> it all comes from pork to or, exactly. from yeah. pork uh, to solar power. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. Time's a wasting. We gotta we still have a couple more comments yes, to talk about. I know. I'm a big um, So okay, so then you wrote about um, food waste, which is I think just one of those uh, again, like sort of 
you know, we buy food every day. We do not think about what happens to the food we throw away. And it turns out that it doesn't just um, quietly dissolve into the earth and replenish the soil. Um, it does it. No, that's not what happens, right? What happens? <laughs> what happens to food? Yeah, I mean, food. Food is biodegradable. It does break down, right. but it doesn't always no. break down where we want it to. Right, right. That's right. And, and this kind of ties into that really good um, listener question, which is wait, aren't we going to really hurt our economy if we give up consumption? And I would argue it's not a perfect supply demand match. We have a lot of waste in this in this country and this world. And one of the biggest areas of waste is food. And it is a valuable resource. If we are more efficient with food, uh, we would get more people up into the workforce because they'll be healthier. They can take care of their families. They can improve uh, their income to get up more in toward a middle class, whatever that is. So a lot of this upcycling and sustainability topics isn't just swapping, you know, one form of consumption for another. It's just being smarter about the consumption we already already do and, and being more efficient. So 30% of food in American grocery stores, so that's not even restaurants or homes, in grocery stores, 30% wasted, thrown away, never eaten, never eaten. Ugh, it's, it's so crazy yeah. when you think about it. And we have really high expectations in retail that an apple is going to be a certain shape, a certain size, a certain consistency in its in its skin. I'm not even talking about bruises. I'm just literally talking about, boy, that 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 color isn't as pure as you know, whatever retail standard we've we've set. Never sees the light of day in a grocery store under traditional retail uh, marketing habits. So there are a couple apps out there that one's called Misfit Markets. The other's called Imperfect Produce. Again, it's a service solution to an environmental challenge. And it's going to the wholesaler, sometimes going right out into the orchard or right out into the, the warehouse that's connected to a series of farms and transporting. And that's another thing about upcycling. Okay, one habit is greener, but I'm getting food delivered. Wait, aren't I aren't I hurting the environment with that carbon footprint? Yep. Well, you probably would have been driving to the grocery store anyway. Right. With food delivery, um, especially the, the one company that I profiled, Misfit Markets, they really try to make sure they're doing bulk orders. So they're not just running their trucks out, you know, one-offs here, there, and everywhere. So, but that's an important thing to always ask when you are upcycling. What's the total impact here to my to my shopping behavior? So, Misfits, for instance, um, takes food that just isn't quite high quality enough to be sold in a brick and mortar retail setting, and they you order it on their site and they deliver it to your home. And one of the most interesting, so produce, I kind of get because it's so it's so differentiated, right? Like size and consistency and whatever. Right. And then uh, the CEO that I interviewed, he said, and meat. And I said, what? Right. and dent meat? No. <laughs> but here's what happens. Let's say I've got two really good examples that, that just drove this home for me. Let's say a, a grocery retailer puts ribeye steaks on special for July 4th. Demand is higher for ribeye steaks. Your typical sirloin buyer says, nope, never mind sirloin. I want the ribeye. All of a sudden, that store has a little bit too much sirloin. Now, they could maybe lower its price too, but ultimately, there's sort of substitution at work, and a store is going to have too much of something. 
they sell that to Misfits, the app, and you're, and then as a retailer, you're, or as a consumer, an eater, you're getting sharply discounted, perfectly fine meat that just no longer fits in the cake, in the, in the, in the butcher's case, right? And salmon was a great example. Oh yeah, so, tell us about. Uh, I filet. love this example. Right. So um, yes, um, so apparently we have pretty high standards. Or someone's told us as Americans, we have to have our salmon fillets perfectly rectangular, right? Mm -hmm. So when salmon, and I'm no butcher, so I'll, I'll do the best with the language here. But when when the fish is being trimmed into portions to be repackaged or resold. There's, it's still the filet, but there's always going to be a little bit of the end that's not rectangular. It's a little bit rounded, right? Same nutritional value, same taste, same freshness, same color, wrong shape. Misfits Markets packages up rounded salmon filets, yeah. sells them at a, at, a, at a big discount. So it's it's really interesting, I think, that you're, you're getting the same product. There's just, there's just one little glitch. There's one little something that, that doesn't fit traditional retail standards, why not save literally up to 50% on your grocery bill by going this route? I know, it's so great. And you still get the omega-3s. Right? You do. From the salmon. It's just fine. It's just <laughs> It's just fine. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, we only have a few minutes left. I know, I know. I love and just so you guys know, the I just want to the headline on the, the food waste one is how to save up to 50% on your grocery bill and reduce food waste. So it's like a, a great combination of there's a personal finance angle and a an environmental angle. Okay, so last but not least is this just went up minutes ago. It's try a home swap. You'll skip Airbnb and hotel costs and vacation like you're a local. Um, so this is a column about home swapping. What is home swapping exactly? In well, the, it's next not, what, the most interesting thing to me is it's not new. One of the sort of best known sites that you can use to search properties has been around since the 1950s. I think it's sort of got its origins when professors would go on sabbatical. So you know, oh, right. a, a Boston professor would would swap with an Oxford professor and then someone sort of figured out what wait, can't can't just regular old vacationers do this, too. Yeah. Now, it really got new attention during COVID. Right. Because um, we were working from home. If we were lucky enough to have that flexibility, we maybe were getting a little antsy, but we didn't want to go to uh, the beach or a big hotel and risk crowd exposure. So. Mm -hmm. Airbnb saw this volume increase too. We, we like the idea of vacationing somewhere a little bit remote with all the comforts of home, but maybe a, a little bit of a different scenery, right? The difference is it's a true swap. You're not paying to stay there. Now, you are opening up your own home to strangers and you're staying in a stranger's home. But once you get over that hump and Listen, the onset of Airbnb uh, vacation rental by owner, VRBO rentals and their competition, we, we've all been retrained a little bit to think we don't have to have, you know, you know, first time, you know, you know, hotel, you know, break the seal on the on the toilet seat kind of uh, stay at a hotel. Right. We can we can stay in someone else's house. The difference between Airbnb and and the like and this is no cost to stay. You're just finding a like-minded person. You're a family of four in Denver. You want to go to Paris for two weeks in June. 
a family in Paris wants to head to the Rocky Mountains first two weeks in June. What a match. And you found each other on, on one of these sort of several uh, apps that I detail in the column. Now, if you can't quite line up your dates, a lot of these apps also sort of bank your points. So the example there is, let's say I'm going to be gone um, for a, let's say I'm a single person. I'm going to be gone for a work conference for a week. My place is going to be empty. If I'm a member of one of these swapping sites, I uh, open it up to a person to stay while I'm gone. I bank those points and then I use them somewhere else later when, when I truly want to want to go on vacation. So they've gotten quite, quite flexible. Usually they have a membership fee after you've already, you can kind of explore them without having to commit to pay the membership fee. But once you do, they're usually ranging about a hundred to $200 a year, unlimited swaps. These sites help you if you, do have a maintenance question if for some reason you have a late a last minute cancellation maybe they, it can be a little flexible um some swappers will even include their car uh their kayaks uh their gym membership it's it's really almost swapping lifestyle for a week or two or a month um and it's it's pretty exciting and i i'm i'm looking forward to i learned a lot writing the the piece and um, I'm just trying to get up my nerve. <laughs> I know, do right? <laughs> do the, um, do those sites have like, um, do they have reviews and ratings of the um, different, you know, apartments and houses you can get? They absolutely or do. And, okay. and transparency and communication is key. Like you want to know how many, you know, how many does it sleep? Please don't, you know, please don't fudge that so that, you know, mm -hmm. grandma ends up, you know, sleeping with the 16 year old. Cause there's just no more, <laughs> no more beds, you know? Right. Um, and it's, it's kind of, you have time, unlike Airbnb, which, which works that, that market's proven, proven itself. You really have a long time to establish communication, set expectations, get recommendations, read up what other people have said about their stays at this place. Um, it, it's, it's, it's pretty great to be honest. Yeah. And these, um, the apps, even most of them have insurance coverage. So in the rare event that something happens, a, a major toilet overflow or flood, you know, floods out a room when you're not there, if your own home insurance somehow doesn't cover it, and it probably should, but always ask, um, or, you know, just something happens. Um, there is an insurance piece to it, which I found really comforting because I would imagine without knowing that, I would imagine that that's kind of the weak spot of, of this service. But yeah. all these sites really assured me that it's it's pretty much taken care of. So but always ask questions about that. It's, it's better to know know ahead of time. Okay. Um, this is tragic. We're out of time. We can't, we, but I will say before we, before our sign off, I want to say that I think, you know, Rachel is always looking for ideas about the upcycler. Yeah, aren't you, Rachel? I so, sure am. You can eat, you can find me on Twitter. You can email us off the bottom of our stories. Um, a couple ideas in the hopper. I'll, I'll just say yeah. really, really quick. Our, um, I wondered, you asked how, how I get ideas for columns. So, there's this beautiful neon sign downtown Chicago. I'm Chicago based of this camera business, this film processing and camera retailer. Been in business for over a hundred years. I've always admired their sign. Last time I admired their signs, I thought sign. I thought to myself, "Wow, they survived COVID. That business. What? Who is getting film developed anymore? Other than pros, you know? 
I'm fascinated now with cameras. Should we refurbish our old film cameras? When yeah. should you use film and not digital? Where can you get it done? How much does it cost? That's one idea. Um, I even got pitched the other day. This is the last thing I'll say. I got a pitch the other day about farmers in Nepal doing this sort of breakthrough technology where they take human urine and use it as fertilizer. And mm -hmm. I thought, upcycling that's how my brain's working now <laughs> i just see some sort of strange thing strange reuse and i just think to myself upcycling so that, that's that's where i'm at yeah all right cool i think it's such a cool column and hopefully you guys will uh look for it on our website um and that's all we have time for today so thanks for being here rachel um and yeah, we hope you guys uh, listen in for our next episode tomorrow, which is going to be financial news is uh, Trista Kelly, Jeremy Chan speak to Charles Allen, the chairman and CEO of BTCS. They will discuss the digital asset industry and regulations. And also coming up on the agenda, MarketWatch is going to be hosting the Best New Ideas in Money Festival on September 21st and 22nd in New York City. It's a live in-person event that you are all invited to. And you can see this slide and chat box for more details. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.